Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Zerid Osmani, manager of the Martin Curry Global Portfolio Trust, with whom I previously spoke in July 2020. Zerid joined Martin Curry in May 2018 from BlackRock, where he held a number of senior roles from January 2008. At BlackRock, he was a senior portfolio manager and had responsibility for managing several pan-European equity funds with a specific focus on unconstrained, high-conviction, long-term portfolios, as well as being head of European equities research. Prior to this, Zerid managed equity portfolios at Scottish Widows Investment Partnership and was a specialist sector analyst at Commerce Bank Securities, UBS Wahlberg and Credit Lyonnais. He began his investment career as a trainee fund manager at Scottish Investment Trust. Zerid has a BA in Economics and Finance from University of paris la Sorbonne and a Master's in International Finance from the University of Glasgow. So firstly, a very warm welcome to you, Zerid, and thank you for sparing us some of your time. So it's obviously been uh, getting on for a couple of years. So perhaps firstly, you could uh, remind us of the objectives and investment style of the trust. Yeah, sure. The trust focuses on sustainable quality growth companies, which we target in terms of valuation attraction on a five to 10 year time horizon. And we're unconstrained by the benchmark, uh, even if the benchmark is uh, the MSCI world. We focus on finding the 20 to 30 very best ideas across the globe and harnessing them in uh, this high conviction uh, trust. At the moment, we've got 29 stocks. And the way we find these sustainable quality growth companies is through fundamental research, which we do systematically. And by systematically, what we mean is uh, detailed, consistent, structured fundamental research. Okay. So what is the current sector and, and country allocation of the trust? So the trust has been differentiated from some of our peers in uh, being sizably underweight the U.S. equity market to the tune of uh, 15 to 20% underweight on a long-term basis. And that persistent underweight has been related to our fundamental analysis. Simply speaking, we find better valuation opportunities in companies outside the U.S. equity market, where we find a lot of companies that are generally attractive and well-positioned, but that are fully priced or overpriced. So that's one aspect, which means that we're generally overweight the rest of the world, Europe and Asian equities in particular. And what sort of sector breakdown are we generally looking at there? Yeah, in terms of sectors, there are a few sectors where when we analyze the industry dynamics, we don't find them attractive in terms of uh, the criteria we're looking for, which are high barriers to entry, as well as uh, sectors that have low risk of disruption and where competitive pressures are lower, as well as other aspects like regulatory risks are lower. And when we also look at some of these sectors from the fundamental point of view, there are sectors that struggle to cover the cost of capital. And therefore, these are sectors where we struggle to find companies that can generate value creation for shareholders over the long term. These typically are sectors like utilities, telecoms, banks, basic materials, energy. So when you therefore look at uh, the exposures of the trust, we have no exposure to the sectors. And against that, we have um, overweights in technology, consumer, industrials and healthcare. 
Okay, and, and as we've mentioned, we previously spoke almost two years ago. And at that time, we were talking about making profits without investing in the fangs. Is your attitude to this still much the same? Very much so, yes. So our big underweight in US is also added to an additional characteristic, which is not having had exposure to any of the fangs. Now, it's important to specify uh, how we spell the fangs. There's different spellings. So for us, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google are companies we haven't had exposure to. Some other companies that can enter into uh, derivations of the fangs, like NVIDIA is a company we have a big exposure to, as well as Microsoft. Okay, and you, you mentioned a couple there. Are those amongst the top holdings? Perhaps you could just mention what a couple of your top holdings are and, and what is attractive about them to you. Yeah, that's right. So they are amongst our top holdings. So in the case of NVIDIA, we think the company is really well positioned to uh, capture some of the long-term structural trends related to the metaverse in particular, something that we might be talking to later on. The online gaming uh, as well is an important trend and uh, generally speaking, opportunities around the semiconductors ecosystem. Uh, in the case of Microsoft, we like the fact that the company is really well ex uh, exposed in the corporate IT spend uh, and the cloud computing, as well as uh, cybersecurity. And uh, it's got a growing uh, share of revenue coming from services, which makes it uh, more predictable. And in both instances, these are companies that have attractive growth and high return on invested capital. And that's an important aspect that we like in technology. All of our companies in technology are profitable companies rather than loss making and generate high returns and actually, in most instances, growing returns over time. Now seems as good a time as any to go back to that word metaverse, which is slowly coming into uh, common parlance. Could you just explain to our listeners exactly what your understanding of the metaverse is? Yeah, it's an important question that you ask here, Richard, because uh, it's still something that many investors are trying to define. For us, it's uh, defined in the broader sense of the term. This is not just uh, your social platforms that become fully immersive, fully uh, augmented reality. Uh, that is indeed one vertical. So the social platforms turning into being uh, totally virtual and totally immersive. And that's an important potential area of additional investments, as we've seen from a company formerly known as Facebook, uh, when they talk about the extent of their uh, investment intentions over the years to come to really move towards that next generation of social platform interaction. There's then the corporate uh, world and uh, corporate enterprise where we see the metaverse as having an opportunity for collaborative work. So we've went through a couple of years as the pandemic has uh, hit the world of uh, having interactions on Zoom or on uh, Teams. And so there is an opportunity for these interactions to become more virtual and more fully immersive, again, sitting in the same room, even if we're distant, or having this interview sitting across the table when we're actually in uh, different parts of the world. And the third vertical is industrial interaction. So everything to do with industrial designs and collaborative work around industrial designs, whether it's companies trying to design a, a new engine in the car industry and being fully immersed into uh, the interaction across engineers, or whether it's architects uh, trying to design a project, whether it's a bridge or a building, 
or finally it can be anything to do with potential uh, medical operations that get done remotely by an expert in one country but that's operating on a patient in a totally different country or continent all of which uh, gets enhanced through a fully submersive experience that the metaverse can bring so when you see it as a broader sense of the term it can actually be a very sizable opportunity for investors and presumably the companies who are doing the exploration at the moment tend to be specialized perhaps in one of those three verticals or are there companies out there which are just generally looking for exposure to the metaverse as a whole i guess you've got to look at it as software versus hardware so on the hardware side in order in order to have um, a great experience you need to have very high performing headsets virtual headsets those will need to be lighter if you're going to spend more time on the metaverse uh, just for the comfort of use so the hardware side is an important aspect on the other aspects of that of course is you need much more powerful microchips and much more um, performing uh, graphics cards to make it fully immersive so again that's where Nvidia is really well positioned and then on the software side you will need an element of upgrades of software to make it more relevant to the type of experience we're talking about so there's various uh, opportunities within the whole ecosystem that you should think about and then of course from the point of view of security you have the whole cybersecurity aspect and that uh, straddles across the three verticals uh, social stroke consumer experience, a corporate experience, and the industrial vertical as well. And in terms of the other major holding that you mentioned, that is Microsoft, is it fair to say they've had something of a resurgence over more recent times? Yes, it's a company that has become more apparent for investors in terms of its uh, dynamics, in terms of the growing services side of its uh, revenues, which uh, makes it a more predictable company as uh, that portion of services increases. Also, the fact that they're well positioned within uh, the broader ecosystem and therefore being able to capture different long-term thematic trends like cloud computing in particular, uh, but also cybersecurity. And even we talked about the metaverse and the collaborative work, the fact that Teams has become uh, an important and uh, increasingly more competitive platform compared to some of the um, other offerings like Zoom means that the company is really well positioned to be able to navigate around that um, evolution in the in the um, uh, corporate interactions and the collaborative work that the metaverse can bring. And when you look at the returns profile of the company, uh, we've forecasting a company that uh, moves from the mid-50s percentage ROIC towards uh, the high 70% ROIC as it uh, builds uh, scale economies. And in terms of gross profile on a five-year basis, we actually forecast a, a mid-teens growth in both sales, profits, and free cash flows. Now, clearly, the last two years or so have been quite extraordinary in human terms, let alone market terms. Did 2020 give you the opportunity to add new names to the portfolio or indeed to make changes? Yeah, we always look for new thematic opportunities. And as we've identified, as we've analysed the COVID crisis and the unprecedented uh, impact that it's had, we have identified eight midterm opportunities within our three megatrends. And I think we've discussed that with you before, Richard, the three 
long-term mega trends that we've identified as our demographic changes, uh, future of technology across the whole economy, and resource scarcity. And within those three mega trends, the eight midterm opportunities that have either emerged or accelerated since the COVID crisis are firstly green and alternative uh, energy uh, as a way to transition economies towards uh, the net zero targets. Uh, secondly, energy efficient infrastructure, so greener, more efficient buildings is one of those things. Thirdly, electric transportation, which for us is both high-speed railway and electric vehicles. And there's a very strong long-term trend in terms of migration in the autos industry from combustion to electric, which is something that provides an attractive opportunity for investors. Uh, fourthly, uh, healthcare infrastructure, given that pretty much every government throughout the world has realized the importance of healthcare infrastructure and post pandemic crisis will find the need to upgrade the healthcare infrastructure, both the physical upgrade, but also increased digitalization of the healthcare infrastructure to make it more productive. So those are four specific midterm thematic opportunities that are more focused on infrastructure. Uh, there are another four, uh, some of them are actually infrastructure related, like 5G telephony uh, in order for countries to make their uh, competitive attraction uh, stronger. There's uh, robotics and automation. As companies have realized that the pandemic crisis has uh, brought a focus on supply chains and making them more robust, making production lines more resilient, all of which is leading to an increased investment in robotics and automation. Also, as companies have migrated online, uh, there's an increased demand for cloud computing and related to that, cybersecurity. And the final one of the eight uh, thematics is what we've discussed already, metaverse and quantum computing. Now, quantum computing is a nascent trend, but actually providing some attractive implications in terms of a semiconductor super cycle, notably. Okay, so putting all of that together, Zerid, the difficult part, what is your outlook from here with all the foregoing in mind? Well, the outlook in terms of macroeconomic uh, picture is very uncertain, given that we have, uh, we're going through a period of uh, stronger and longer lasting inflation, which means that monetary policies have to focus on uh, hiking rates and hiking rates quite aggressively to combat that higher inflation. At the same time, as the economic leading indicators are telling us that economies are slowing down not least because of the China zero tolerance on COVID, China being the second largest economy globally, a sharp decline in manufacturing and services, PMIs as a result of the lockdowns is dragging down the global leading indicators, but also the Ukraine-Russia conflict, which is putting more pressure, more downward pressure on the European leading indicators all of which is really bringing this very unpleasant cocktail of slowing economic momentum, higher interest rate, uh, inflation, sorry, leading to the need for higher interest rates. So what we've highlighted in our Outlook update a couple of months ago is that we believe that we're entering into a slowdown phase of the economic cycle. And we've put that probability at 60 to 65%. But we've also increased the probability of a stagflation from less than 5% to 10 to 15% now. So still low but rising probability of stagflation is the highest risk coming from the European region. 
and therefore the need to focus in this environment on companies that can deliver consistent growth that are facing structural growth opportunities like the ones we've talked about and companies that have strong pricing power given the higher and longer lasting inflation environment because those companies will enable investors to uh, have protection in terms of margin pressure. So those are the aspects we look at. Also, the other aspect, Richard, to bear in mind is that in periods of slowdown, we believe that momentum, earnings momentum will be an important aspect to focus on. And it's quite uh, easy to understand. If you have a slowdown, you'll have earnings downgrades. If you are able to identify and capture companies that have less risk of downgrades or no risk of downgrades, or indeed surprise positively on expectations. And those are companies that will be rewarded by the market. Indeed, some great food for thought there, Sarah. Unfortunately, that's uh, all we've got time for. So we're going to have to leave it there. So many thanks again for your time, Zerid, and those valuable insights. That's Zerid Osmani, manager of the Martin Curry Global Portfolio Trust. And thank you for listening. Please feel free, free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back soon with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now. 